everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 305, the 2020 Euro Final Preview. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. So, boys... The time has come, hey? This is it. This is since 1966. You guys have been waiting for this. Just in your... Well, I mean, I haven't. I, but I've been waiting. I, I I've waited to, my entire life. I didn't know how to life. say that. In your... I'll just leave that blank. I'm, I've been waiting since 1987. Yes. <laughs> Which is a pretty long time to be waiting. Um, but yeah. And I've just about recovered from my Bender post-semifinal. So that's... <laughs> I might so, be... So for those who are in Iraq... Under a rock, I guess. Well, you could be in a rock too, I guess. We are reacting to England making England making their first major tournament final since 1966, which yes. was really crazy. I was listening to another podcast, and it, he was talking about how his son is about 10 years old, and he has a very pro image of England football and that, you know, they've always kind of been decent, you know, in the past 10 years, minus the the Iceland match, you know, but, you know, looking back, they've, they've been a decent team. And then he's sitting there watching his son be optimistic and he's overly pessimistic because he's been alive for 60 years and has just seen the agony and, and defeat and all of that. So it was, a, it was a pretty good like juxtaposition of like how you feel going into this final and even the semis. Well, I mean, I think, Take someone of my dad's age. He was a little kid when the 66 final happened, but can remember it. He had the 66 World Cup, the 70 World Cup, where England also did well, and then basically didn't do anything for 20 years in a World Cup. So even if you'd been like my dad's generation, you would have gone through this that period and for your childhood thought England are good, right? I've seen them in a World Cup. I've seen them you know, do well in tournaments. And then... Now he's getting to see it again for the first time. So, yeah, even that's it's always one of those kind of scary things, right? A, you might not have the appreciation of the pain that went into it, but which I can actually address on Thursday when I was in the bar watching the semifinal. Um, there was this guy in a Welsh rugby top, like from a club from Wales, um, kind of not too far away from us with his girlfriend. And he was very obviously supporting Denmark. That didn't bother me. I always think it's a little sad to be that vocally supporting the, like, the anti-English, which is all it is. It's just, however, it Considering is... Considering they got pumped 4-0 by them as well. Okay, well, this is, this is coming, Sam. So Denmark's score, he happened to be recording the television when they took the free kick. So he timed it perfectly. They score, he kind of went mental. Then he ordered some shots to celebrate. And then when England equalized, I'm for the space of maybe 45 seconds, might have lost my mind and like stood up kind of on the, you know, like as a bar stool. So you have the, you know, the, the kind of rung sort of underneath. I like stood up at that and aggressively pointed at it and was like, <laughs> where are you now? Where are you now? You lost you're four, already, you lost four nil to, to them. Go. You got humped by them. Where are you now? <laughs> like... You're already a pretty tall guy, so adding an extra foot yeah. is going to be imposing. Yeah, and then <laughs> you guys are psychos. <laughs> I I I, re, I regained clarity. The mist cleared, 
And then I went up to him and I was like, apologize. I was like, I'm really sorry. It just means a lot. And he said, yeah, yeah, I get it. Don't worry. Like we were, it was very amicable afterwards. And, and then. And then they scored the winner. And what'd you do? Shit in your hand and throw it at him? <laughs> no. So then when the 90, when the 90 minutes finished, I went up to him and said, I, sorry again about earlier, but I'll buy you and your girlfriend a shot. So I ordered three Jaegers and they came and then I was like, what's your, what's your name, by the way? Like, I'm, I'm Eddie. Like, what are you two? And he said a name. I didn't hear him cl- clearly. And I was like, do you say Glenn? And he said, no, Clem. I was like, as in short for Clemel? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm French. And then I was like, oh, I retract my apology. Because now you're a French guy pretending to be Welsh who's hating England. <laughs> Did you actually Tell retract me. the apology? Yeah. Did you say tell that me. everything that has happened? Give me the shot back. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, tell me, did you take all three mouth. shots? Spit it out. Spit, Spit it in my out. mouth. <laughs> Too bad the shots hadn't been taken yet, and instead you just ripped all three in front of them. That would have been the better move. No, no, we'd already done them. And then in the end, I didn't. We actually, sp- his, I mean, ironically, his girlfriend applied for a job at the bar I was in during the match then. I went to the owner and said, no, it's not happening. You're jeopardizing careers. Her boyfriend, he's he's too complicated. Can't have him hanging around. So that was Eddie's experience. Sam, we heard you cried. Why don't you tell us about that? I I did shed a little tear. (laughs) I did shed a little tear at the realization. That's that's uh, more psychotic than what I did. (laughs) I didn't read it. It was just elation. It was just a moment that happened. No, no, Eddie, what's, what's psychotic about it is it's just two grown men in the apartment watching a match and one of them just crying. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like full on on the floor in tears kind of thing. Was, was, did but Jake, also, was a did Jake also shed a tear? I don't think he did, no. No. That would have really, really surprised me. There was a little bit of measured performance from Jake, actually. Like the Germany game, he was on the floor praying. <laughs> like, but you know... You know why that is, though. I'm not. I mean, not to make assumptions for Jake, but I think the feeling now is that this was just the preamble, right, to the final. The final now is the emotional experience. Even though I, during that match, when they went one nil down, I suddenly got a bit of that. Here we go again. Chill, like, chill down the spine. I've seen this yep. a million times, so I did have that. As soon as they equalized, I have to admit, because they equalized so quickly, and then they were just the better team for the match from that moment on i kind of felt relaxed i always felt like in extra time they were going to score a goal like i didn't yeah. my only moment of fear was like the final five minutes of regular time where i thought how typical this would be because like england had been so on top and then you get to that moment where you go well, we can't make a we can't take any risks anymore because the next goal is the winner so you have that final five minutes where Denmark had a bit more of the ball because England then suddenly were a bit more conservative in how they were playing. And that's where I feared, oh no, we will have bossed the second half and then there's going to be an 89th minute winner for Denmark with their sort of fourth corner of the match or whatever it would have been. Yeah, yeah on, on ESPN, in, at least in the States, they kept... I think over complimenting Denmark saying that they were playing a really great match. And to me, 
besides there was like a good maybe like 10 minute window in that first half where Denmark kind of took control a little but other than that I thought England controlled that match almost entirely especially in the second half you know once they got their subs in and they were fresh and and the extra time as well like when they finished putting in some of the subs like they dominated that I thought yeah I mean when you look at the time that Denmark came back into that game it's actually a time where the opposition have come into the game every time someone's played England like even Ukraine between that 20 to 30 minute mark 20 to 35 Croatia did the same after a fast start by England the Czechs did it as well it was it seems to be this moment where England start fast and then have this kind of malaise in the middle of the first half to varying degrees right some teams were just much better with it and some were just average but I don't know if this is deliberate but I just oh, that's let's let's give them 10 minutes with this England wow, the England confidence yeah. is so high give them yeah. 10 minutes boys let them let yeah. let's see what they Why can not? do so let's sit back oh good free kick now will I answer back <laughs> we'll bluff them I, double bluff Italy I, now it's one of those things that frustrates me a lot of times look it's rare to watch in any sport when you see two professional teams or individuals go against each other there is always going to be a moment when the lesser of the two is on top for a bit it, it almost, it, even in blowouts, you'll still go, well, there was a five-minute period where they sort of put strung together a few nice things. It, it almost always happens. And I agree with you. And the reason why I felt like England lost the match, I find it then particularly annoying, and then we can touch on this then, in the breakdown of whether or not that was a penalty. It is being fundamentally overlooked that England were the better team. Sometimes people are speaking about it as if, oh, Denmark were robbed. Like Denmark were completely on top and out of nowhere, England were given a penalty and Denmark were knocked out. It was in, in the reality is probably if England hadn't been given that penalty, there's a good chance they would have scored in the final few minutes because extra time was just, it was a training session of, you know, attack against defense basically for half an hour. And yeah. I mean, I'll say my opinion. I think it's a penalty. I don't think it's an absolute stone wall penalty. Sometimes it wouldn't be given, but I would, I think it is a penalty. I think it's one of those where people start watching things in slow motion and treating it as if you need to be sort of clipped for it to be like someone has to do something like foot on foot contact almost for it to be. a But the reality is he's kind of been squeezed and sandwiched between two defenders. He's been smart enough to find that space and try and get in between them. They've tried to close that space without any ability to win the ball. That's not a lot. You can't just obstruct a player. And then on top of it, he's been, sort of body checked in the thigh by one of the Danish defenders as well. I mean, I personally think two fouls were committed. Yeah, there's two fouls. If they didn't give it for one, you know, VAR could have justified it for the other because it was within the blink of an eye where it happened. And also, it's this feeling of like, what did they want Sterling to do when he felt there was contact? right did they want him to do that classic like stay on his feet oh what an honest player like this is a european championship semi-final an area england have so rarely been and what they want sterling to be like honest about it i i, I just he's honest because there's contact and he's gone down but like I, it's legitimate i don't think there would have been any way for him to really stay on his feet you can sometimes go down with there being contact and it's not a foul you can have both where it's he hasn't dived but at the same time it's not a foul. I just, I don't really understand. I, I genuinely don't. I And VAR was never going to overturn it because of the way that VAR is working in this tournament, which is it's only overturning clear and obvious errors. And there was no way it was going to look at that and say, this was a 100% not a penalty. 
So in the same way that probably I think VAR might have given it had uh, the referee not awarded it on the pitch, but he but it probably wouldn't have because I think the Harry Kane incident earlier on in the match, which I also think was a penalty, but wasn't wasn't given as one because obviously the referee didn't award it in the you know in play, and then VAR looked at it and decided it's not clear and obvious, so we won't go back for it. Yeah, I, it, it was a tough call and it was a judgment call. And maybe you say you don't want to decide a semifinal. You know, we we've, we go through this with all sports, right? That you don't want the the ref or the official to have to decide that because that decided it. But I mean, long story short, I, I can say this now with hindsight. I think England were going to score anyway. I mean, they were pressing and pressing and chance after chance. Like if it wasn't that, it would have been something five minutes later. And look, technically you missed the penalty anyway. So no, no. Well, you know, we can say justice was done and then redone. The, just but there, that there, counts as a goal worse. from open play, right? It counts so as that, an open goal, a goal from yeah. open play. Yeah. Technically, this is the interesting one. You get an assist. I it, this is an inter- You get an assist nowadays. If like Sterling would have had an assist officially for winning the penalty, um, so I guess he robbed Sterling of an assist. Is basically what he's managed to do there. There, there were some pretty good, I guess, depending on what, if you think it's good or not, uh, who's side you're on, reactions to that, though. So the Spanish newspaper, Marca, wrote up, it would be nice for English football to stop giving constant lectures to the rest of the continent about diving. So that was one that the Spanish newspaper said. Um, let's see. There were some other pretty good ones. So Jose Marino said, for me, it's never a penalty. <laughs> um it's just a ridiculous comment. So like, the French newspaper said that it was a questionable, not least generous penalty. While in Italy, the newspaper said it's a shame they get these little bits of help because they don't need it. And then the tweet of the day went to the Italian journalist who said it's diving home. <laughs> no, I actually think I, I, I can't remember which Scottish paper it was. And this is a reference that you won't get, Frank. But their headline was "They think it's fall over," and it's 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 a pun, which you would love if you got the original reference. But on the most iconic bit of English football and commentary of all time, which is when England scored their fourth goal in the nineteen sixty six World Cup final, and some fans ran on the pitch before the final whistle went, and the commentator said. There's some fans running on the pitch. They think it's all over. And then Jeff Hurst scored the fourth goal. And so then his follow-up was, it is now. And that's obviously, it's a great kind of call, bit of commentary. But it's also a pretty good pun. I have to give them credit. That's a good pun. It's not bad. That is better than it's diving home. (laughs) But the point made that Italy wasn't really an insult. And they're the only ones left in the tournament, right? I think a bit of bitterness from the other people. As, uh, Even the French uh, one isn't yeah. bad. I mean, just it's look. I think it's generous fine. is fair. It's, it's fine fair to, to call it generous. a slightly soft penalty because, as I said, I I, uh, I think it was a penalty, but you'll definitely see them not given sometimes. But it's to say it absolutely wasn't a penalty is 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 outrageous. The referee has made the right call. As far as I'm concerned, it was a VAR check penalty. Is that what people it said are making on... it sound like it was some hand of God esque or like the Lampard goal not counting, sort of like robbery. Like Denmark were well in the game until that point and then were robbed of their draw and potential penalty win. 
you touch on a good point there too, Sam. But historically, over the course of England's history, they have they've had the two largest refereeing errors in the history of the World Cup go against them. The two most iconic bad refereeing decisions. Now, I guess we could get into the debate. There's always the 1966, was it over the line or not, can come up, which doesn't kind of make that discussion often. However, the two big ones, the hand of God and the Lampard ghost goal or no goal, whatever you want to call it, they are the two most iconic refereeing gaffes. And both of them happened against England. And so to have, not that you get then the right to have poor decisions made in your favor, but to suddenly make it out as, oh, England always get these. Typical England having needing bad refereeing decisions to get into the next round. I mean, anyway. I mean, we, and so I guess we can then so, move. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say just quickly then, give me a performance that you thought was very good and one that was not so good and worries you coming up for England in that semifinal. Quick, you don't have I, to be like forever I, about it, but. I'll say quickly, Carl Walker. I think it was really surprising how well he tracked back and performed. I think it was a much oh, better so performance quick. than I've seen in the whole tournament. He is, he is a so beast. Quick. He is he's so fast. Oh my God. Not to toot my own horn, but he reminds me of how I play hockey where like I get myself in kind of difficult situations and then I just like what a comparison haul ass to like get back and save myself. And he did it so many times. Like there was two or three where I thought like, Oh shit, this is not good. And then he just is like the Terminator running down the field to catch up to these people. It was, he played impressive. I was, I was blown away by some of that speed. The negativity. I actually don't think I, there's I'll agree. Kyle Walker was a standout. I thought Harry Kane was good. Um, Sterling was good. I don't think there was a bad, the only bad performance to me in a way, and I might be overly critical, I think Pickford has to do better with that free kick. It's basically, it's too close to the middle of his goal to have either his wall is not in the right place or he's not in the right place. But you cannot be beaten from 35 yards out to the side you would expect. It's right, it's the direction he would expect to need to move. In And so the fact that he's beaten... I don't know, a yard and a half away from where he's standing in that direction. I think deep, it's not of a level where anyone should come out and be strongly critical of him. And he has had a good tournament. So again, it's not a, you know, it's not a horrible error to have made, but I'm sure he looks at that and thinks I should have saved it. I'm not going to be critical of the free kick because I'm fine with saying like wall placement may be the problem, but that ball dipped high to low pretty pretty well actually my problem with pickford was his distribution i i think well he picking I, people out the, the throw the rollout that went straight to a danish player it was the distribution that got i think lost. he got rattled by that goal to be perfect the the 10 minutes after which is when until england equalized basically whatever that was nine minutes or whatever he had a few moments when you're right his distribution he kicked it straight to touch once he gave the ball away to two danish players on two occasions i think just straight to them and i think he was genuinely a little bit rattled by the goal and you know i'm glad that they went to goal down 
because I don't want I don't think you want the first time you go a goal down to be the final. And so I think, 70 minutes into a final, yeah. I exactly think there's again it feels like you've gone through the test. I said this to people in the bar who in the feeling went quite negative quite quickly. And to me I I tried to stay in a positive mindset where I said you're going to have to be no one wins major tournaments without being tested and fundamentally this is now England's test to come from a goal behind. And I, yeah, it will give them more. Obviously, Italy are a sterner test, and being one nil down to this Italian side is much more of a challenge to overcome than being one nil down to Denmark. But I think that they will now be at least a bit more confident that they can handle it. Speaking of the Italians, so that game against the Spanish, um, don't know what you felt of that game, but I thought as that game progressed and went on. I was a bit more worried about facing the Spanish than I was the Italians at points in that game. But, you know, the Italians are a really good team. They've been probably alongside England, probably one of the more complete sides in this whole thing as well in terms of consistency. But I think that Spanish game showed a few problems with this Italian team. don't know what you thought of the game, but yeah, that's what great. I kind of took from it. It was a great match. It was the best match of the tournament. Not, not even close. And... I think both teams played well in very different ways. I think people have been overly complimentary of the Spanish perceived dominance in that match because a lot of it was Italy just allowing them to keep possession, which Spain, like Spanish sides in general, love the you know sideways passes, 50 yards from goal, string 90. You know, Busquets has probably a 99% pass completion rates. He's probably completed about seven passes over 10 yards in his life. But... The, you know, and Busquets is a great player. I'm not trying to make it out, but there's it is someone that sometimes people can get lost in the statistics and not really think about well, what does it mean. Um, great match. I think Italy rode their luck a little bit, obviously. Spain, I don't know whether or not Luis Enrique made a mistake by not starting Morata, which obviously when we previewed the match, part of my concern was obviously that he was going to be a known quantity to the Italian defense. But in the end, time and time again, what you saw, they would they would string nice passes together. They would pull the Italians out of position. They would get in a position then to put the ball in the box and no one was there. And so it's like, well, you have this great play and there can be no end product. And... Obviously, Morata came on and changed that. He then blew it. In, in I mean, that was the match that explains Morata's entire career, which is the highs and lows follow so quickly. And the highs are very high and the lows are very, very low. And it explains just why he's never quite made it to the level that might have been expected of him. But... Towards the end of the match, I wanted Italy to go through because I thought I felt like that this was going to be easier for England, which is the complete opposite of what I thought going into the semi-final. And I don't want to overreact to one single match. It's it's always good when you've got two old centre backs going through 120 minutes of being pulled around um, before going into uh, an England 120 game. Minutes, where I think Sam, 120 minutes back to back. Because Italy yes. have played consecutive extra times. So you have defenders in their mid-late 30s who have played 240 minutes in the past. You're, you're trying to... Wait, they, didn't they just beat Belgium in 
normal time, but Austria. Was oh yeah, there, sorry, yeah, time. you're right. It's, so, to but two, either way, two of two, three. two of three. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, in the order of the structure there. But yeah, no. Um, and I also look Italian. You, you know, with Italian defenders, they're so intelligent, and they will have a plan for the way to deal with Harry Kane and to deal with Sterling and the other attacking weapons. And there is every chance that that plan will be very, very good and will nullify a lot of England's threat. But when I then did watch this, this was a moment when I watched the way Spain's players were dropping deeper to get the ball and then pulling the Italian defense out of position, which then allowed them to play balls in behind. And Kane's obviously been criticized for dropping deep throughout this tournament. But the thought then of them having to track him, a central defender will have to go with him and they don't have the pace to then cover for a run that's made behind them. To me, as I watched that, as it happened, I don't know, 10 times over the course of that match, I just thought Harry Kane and Sterling and whoever else plays Sacco or Foden will be looking at that thinking, gosh, we could absolutely rip them apart conceivably. And I genuinely mean that. There is a world in which I see England dismantling the Italians. I don't think it will happen, but if I, I cannot see a situation. This is going to. Be, these are famous last words. I cannot see a situation in which. Hold Italy on, let, beat, let me get my quote book out. I cannot see I'm a situation in which Italy beat England five nil or four nil. I just can't see it, but I could see a situation where England beat Italy four nil, and it's just so. Well, that's. That. Like, Okay. No, that, uh, that, no, there's a reason that kind of upsets me is that I, I looked at it in a similar way to the way you did, but I actually thought more about the way like Luke Shaw kind of creates the overlapping runs as well and just causes people absolute panic in terms of a ball over the top, Sterling, like the way he passed a cane in the Ukraine game. Like England have so many abilities. I am also of that belief that if, if it clicks early, as it has done before with England, it could be over in half an hour. Could. Now, I, like, but where is the other way around? Hold on, hold on, Where is the on, other way on. around? Hold on, hold on. Over, I can't see happening. Hold on. Over in half an hour. What does the scoreline have to be at, <laughs> on the 30-minute mark, Sam, for three you to nil. go 3-0, it's could, over. I could see that I, uh, game being over at 3-0. Okay, I will say I will tell you this. If England are 3-0 up after 30 minutes, I will be very confident that they are going to win that match. But I'm not okay. turning to people and going, this one's over. Put, <laughs> may as well get out of the put, put the name on the trophy now. Save yourself some time. Turn it off. Let's see what else is on right now. We don't need to see the rest of this. But, Come on, Eddie. They've conceded one goal. You're going to think <laughs> they're going to concede three in a match? Up three? Maybe. <laughs> Mark but, my words, Eddie. If it's 3-0, you can just leave the bar and start oh, celebrating. Oh, dear. That hurts now. Oh. Now, but, and, and what that match, what the Spanish match also, it's one of those weird ones, right? Because people, Spinazzola was one of the stars of the tournament in general, but particularly for Italy. And it's one of those where he was then missing and people talk about how much that's going to hurt them. And you can look at it on paper and think, it's going to hurt them, but how much is your fullback slash wingback being out you know how much is that really going to change what you do and then you saw the the drop off from him to emerson and it changes everything italy do because they've lost a main attacking threat and they've also lost 
defensive solidity from one player going out. And again, I am sure I wouldn't be surprised. I think you saw Raheem Sterling switch to the right hand side during that uh, Denmark match, which obviously England have that ability to have the wingers flip, but they don't do it that much, or at least throughout this tournament, they've not done it a tremendous amount of time. I think Sterling will play on the right hand side a lot in this match because it will just be looking to absolutely abuse Emerson. Now, maybe the Italians will change it up because they'll look at how Emerson performed and they'll decide to go for the different route. But whoever, Emerson will definitely get targeted. So that sounds like a mini preview. I guess I would like to... I'm amazed that we're in this final in a way because it's never happened in my lifetime. Never don't happened cry, in 55 years or whatever it is. Oh, I'm, don't start, I think I'm don't allowed, start crying. I'm, I think I'm allowed to shed a tear if England win the Euros. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I mean, right now. That. Don't start crying again oh, now. <laughs> right now, I'll, I'll be fine. But so the odds when they opened up were almost as close to parity as you're ever going to get. It was about uh, 15 to 8, 7 to 4, 2 to 1 the draw. Now That's the crazy. money seems to be England. So it's like 13 to 8 England. Two to one Italy, two to one the draw. It was always going to happen, right? That's what are we? Betting yeah, it's English money. It's English money. But here's the thing, then. Where are you going? We we all picked England to win in a final, just not against Italy. We picked them against Belgium. So does the Italy change that, or are we still going with the three Lions? I'm picking England to win, and my prediction for the match is England three, Italy nil. After thirty minutes. Hey. <laughs> now eddie here's my question if bet 365 pays out and italy come back and win does it still count as a, oh, as, a as a euro championship because bet 365 already paid out well they pay out on you picking them to win in 90 minutes not them if you pick them to win just the outright to lift the trophy market well, they will not pay out <laughs> yeah, on. they've kind but, of subjectively lifted the trophy so we'll pay out yeah it would be it, those would be very mixed emotions i'm sure for a number of england fans if you put a really big bet on get paid out at two nil <laughs> italy come back to all england lose on the penalty shootout and you kind of sit there thinking well <laughs> at least i won <laughs> yeah i did just win ten thousand pounds frank where are you going with i'm gonna go england I don't know if it will be in the 90. I think it's going to be low scoring. I mean, you look at both of these teams, their matches haven't been super high scoring matches. They both, you know, kind of like to play that, that defensive side and sit back and then kind of push when they can. And I think I, I, I don't, I don't see England scoring three. I can't, I don't see it, but I think I'll go England to lift the trophy and under two and a half would be mine. So, I mean, England dismantled Ukraine, but besides that, they've kept every match under three, and so has Italy, except for um, Switzerland and Turkey, which I don't really count those. But all the good matches they've played against quality teams have been low-scoring. So I don't expect to have two low-scoring teams come together and start ripping goals. Although, you know, you'd be surprised... And this will be one of those where there's like confirmation bias, but I think there are often times where people go into matches. I actually think even the Spain-Italy match was a little bit of an example of this, where people thought it to be this was going to be this defensive stalemate, and in actual fact, it was Spain creating quite a lot of chances, and then Italy looking extremely dangerous whenever they hit them on the break. And so a match that you thought was going to be a tentative nil-nil or one-nil or whatever turned out to be a one-all with 
I don't know, 15 good chances to score by the end of it. I mean, really. And f- before we move on, just to and be our predictions on the things, Frank, I just know we discussed the Italian, the the f- perhaps feigned uh, friendliness before the penalty shootout, oh, which I uh, think Cellini. I think from Cellini was an absolute mastermind. Like he, he was a just got inside the Spanish players' heads there and then. The penalty shootout was over. Jordi Alba that... looked like a stunned. Like, he looked stunned. He was like, I don't know how to play this. There's, like it's, I, I know he clearly didn't think this, but it came across as like, this guy knows what he's doing. They know what they're doing. Ah, problem. And then immediately that negativity translates. I The, the way I read his expression was like, why the hell is he so calm and cheerful right now when we're just about to determine who's making it to the finals? Like, I don't, I don't get why he's so happy right now. Like, why is he smiling at me? Like, why is he, why is he hitting me in the face with a soft punch here? I don't get it. And I agree that one, that was definitely a player kind of trying to put up that persona of like, look how calm and collected I am. I can joke. Like, I get that. The it was the goalkeepers just one before, that annoyed me. Before the goalkeepers won, England need to be prepared for that same eventuality. Harry Kane needs to know that if it, this goes to a penalty shootout, he is going to get some mind game coming out during the coin toss. It's clearly going to be whether it's that same level of friendliness or if it's something else, but he is clearly going to try and throw off the look. I've been there, done that. This is so, this is old news to me, but I know you haven't. So how does he one up that? How does he how does he go oh, he, over the he, top he, on he, that? He, he doubles <laughs> down, drops, and drops he just... to his knees. <laughs> you he want just, a quickie? Like, rips his shirt off and does the helicopter. <laughs> oh, that wasn't what I was implying. Someone's doing a helicopter. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's not. Weird. I know. What you're um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would probably do the same thing, but. Yeah, the goalkeepers won, as we also discussed off the podcast. There's the goalkeepers union. They tend to go into penalty shootouts with, uh, we're kind of both in the shit together now. And even though I want to win and you want to win, this sucks for both of us. And we know that probably whichever one of us wins will be more due to either good luck or bad luck than anything else. And there's a level there of camaraderie, even though you're on opposite opposing sides and i do understand that it was a little too much camaraderie like camaraderie would be like hey man good luck yeah good luck they embraced and were whispering in each other's ears for a good 30 seconds when i was was a goalkeeper at school level like 14 15 year old playing i did the same thing like because there's this feeling that you see yeah, but you were playing for your nation no but the point is the point is that you see your entire team lined up on the halfway line and you're 40, 50 yards away. Like there is that sense of it is you two against everyone else in a way. The reverse. And so so if, if you're competing against one other person, then why are you so complimentary and hugging towards them? Like if it's because just you one can't on control, one. You can't control what each other do. So why does it matter? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's A, you're kind of not competing. Right, you're not. You're actually nothing that either one of you does, even though it impacts the outcome. You, you two have, unless it gets to the moment where one of you takes a penalty against the other, which yeah. usually involves a lot of penalties having been taken. But fundamentally, you are 
you are both playing individual games. They are, you know, where the scores are now being compared from these two different sets of, of, of games. And we also don't know what they were saying. So, you know, it's one of those things. They've been telling each other to go fuck themselves. Yeah. Oh, hey, man. I fucked your girlfriend last week. You know that? (laughs) She told me you couldn't save a penalty to save your life. Good luck out there, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So it's always one of those things. You always assume it's friendly. Who knows? But that didn't bother me. And I have a big issue overall with players being friendly with each other. And look, the reason I then have real no issue is there was clearly no love lost between them either during the match or after the match when the Italians didn't seem to care about the Spanish players at all. You just had Spanish players kind of in tears wandering about the Wembley pitch and the Italians just going mental in front of their fans, which is fine, but there wasn't, (laughs) they didn't even get the moment that often happens where someone goes to say something quickly before, or even five minutes into their celebration suddenly thinks, oh, I'll go and say good match to that guy. That didn't seem to happen. So my prediction I, I think the Italians will score, but I think England will score three. So I think it will be over in 90 minutes. I you guys are so ambitious. Why? What have England done and what have Italy done to not think that England will score goals against this kind of defence? Like, that's how I see it. And I just think you've got 60,000 fans at Wembley. It was incredible watching the 45 against Germany, the 60 against Denmark. I think that'll matter. I, I do think it honestly matters. So I think it'll be 3 um, 1. I hope it's 3 0 in 30 minutes, but I still think it's going to goals. I feel bad for you, for you guys, but then you come on here in the final, in the first final since 1966, and you are so confident in them scoring at least three. You're setting yourself up for failure here. I look, this is typical non-English, always trying to look for negativity. England have got to a major final and here you are still criticizing, still, oh, it can't be England's time. I'm not this. criticizing. I, I think they will win, but I think it's going to, I, look, you have Belgium was only able to score one. Spain was only able to score one. And now you have England you think is going to be able to, to triple their yeah. outputs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, look, if, if it were that easy to make predictions as to how many goals would be scored, gambling companies would be going out of business. Frank, if it was just like, well, uh, it's 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 clearly over under 1.5 here. You know, the clean sheets, just an absolute solid bet. Um, you know, there's, it's not un- unusual for, t- because what you need to factor in, which I am, I'm not going for Sam's 3-0 after 30 minutes. I'm thinking it's 1-0 at halftime. You get a second goal in the 60th, 65th minute, and then suddenly Italy have to throw everything at England. So the idea of there being one or two late goals as you just chase a match, it could be 1-0 in the 85th minute and finish 3-0. Either way. Italy haven't let up three goals since 2018 against France. I know, and they haven't been to, they haven't trailed by two goals since June of 2018. I, I know the statistics, but, but also Spain had ten really good chances to score in that game and scored one of them because they have been notoriously poor finishers. England aren't poor finishers. I mean, the in, the header, for example, that was missed just before the Spanish equalizer. Uh, I mean. It's, it was the miss of the tournament. So 
I honestly think if the if England if you tell tell me this if England are going to create as many chances as Spain created in that match, it's going to be three nil, or at least three goals will be scored by England. Put it that way. So, you know that doesn't. I'm not I'm not terrified of this Italian defense. They're very good, and there's every chance they nullify everything that England do. But I don't think it's not some impossible to breach overwhelming challenge I hope you both are right well I hope you're right as well as long as England win that trophy I have no care about how (laughs) my my heart rate and my life expectancy will change if it's in extra time and penalties but as long as England lift that trophy I don't care how it's done but Frank just as our final to wrap up the football if you wanted animosity in a penalty shootout, the, the penalty shootout you wanted to watch was the Argentina-Colombia penalty shootout from the other day. I don't know if you saw that with Messi. I actually didn't. Oh, Messi, after uh, Yeri Mino missed what turned out to be the deciding penalty fundamentally in the shootout. Mina had scored a penalty in Colombia's previous round. And even though it was... There's no such thing as an insignificant penalty, but I think he took the third penalty in that shootout and just leveled it or put his team, you know, he there was an, he hadn't given his Colombian advantage and he like did a dance and stuck his finger in his mouth or something like did a little salsa dance. And which was weird. The commentators, when I was watching that match reaction, were like, this is b- bizarre behavior for Mina, considering that this penalty shootout is still level. But then... Mina missed this penalty, and you can go. You sh- I encourage everyone to go and watch the video. Obviously, Messi is standing in an empty stadium on the halfway line, and basically does an imitation of what I did to the fake Welsh guy. Just starts screaming at him, "Dance now! Dance now! Where's your dance now?" And you can just hear it clearly. His other team, other team, and is like, "Oh, what are you gonna do now, fat boy?" They just go as he is slowly trudging back towards the halfway line. They have a solid <laughs> sort of thirty seconds of abusing him. It is so extreme that the referee had to come over to them and tell them to stop. But because, you know, it's the that big, awesome. it's the big benefit. I have not seen that, and I am now going to watch that. It's the big benefit oh, of an empty stadium, because you can just hear it.